Apostle John was an old man. He was exiled to a small barren island called Patmos. You can go there today. Still called Patmos. And it's still desolate and windswept. (laughs) While he was there, Jesus appeared to him in all his glory. To say the vision unnerved John is an understatement. In this amazing event, Jesus dictated seven letters to John. Seven letters to seven churches. The first church Jesus addresses, Jerusalem. No. (laughs) Antioch? No, not even Antioch. Surprisingly, it is Ephesus. Ephesus, it's interesting. As Luke has written about the growth of the church, we've seen the same thing. The center of Christianity and Christian influence has moved from Jerusalem outward. Antioch became the center of Christian action for some time. Luke has mentioned Corinth, which was very important in the early church, particularly in the Greek region. And now Luke will give us a significant amount of information about the advance of the word of the Lord in Ephesus. While this attention in Ephesus, well, simple enough, because it was so important. (laughs) Timothy, two letters written to him are in the Bible, was the first pastor in the city, and he, as a disciple of Paul, helped to set up other pastors throughout the area. Years later, but before John was exiled, it appears he lived and taught in Ephesus. Ephesus is in that part of the world that the Romans called Asia, We call it the gateway to Asia. In any event, Christianity found its center in Ephesus. Reading the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, a little contemplation will lead a person to believe that the church there expressed the epitome of Christian living. He did it beautifully. Luke will sum up God's work in this area by stating that the word of the Lord prevailed mightily there. And today I'd like us to consider five scenes that Luke gives us to represent Paul's more than two years of work there, as well as his introduction to Ephesus. And I believe from this that we'll be able to gain some understanding of how God's word could prevail mightily in Westport, in the South Beach, and in all the world for that matter. Let's pick up with Paul as he testifies to love and his work in Corinth. As he ends his work there. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. This introduction to Ephesus, it's similar to many of Luke's narrative introductions. First, he reminds us of the dynamic duo he earlier introduced. Apparently they set up a new business location in Ephesus as well as helping to spread the good news. Luke is not saying, by the way, that the husband and wife team did not go to the synagogue with Paul, but rather that they stayed in Ephesus, whereas Paul only visited for the moment. This introduction also serves as the conclusion to his, Luke's, narrative of Paul's second missionary journey. He went on four different missionary journeys. 
Paul is going back to visit many of the churches at which he taught earlier, and he's attempting to get to Jerusalem relatively quickly, probably for a festival, perhaps Passover, which is why he does not want to stay at this time. But there's a remarkable statement in there too. The Jews in the synagogue want to hear what Paul has to say. That's not always the case, (laughs) to say the least. Luke is trying to tell us that they are, like the Berean Jews, more noble than many. He's letting us know that Ephesus is going to be a place for God's word to prevail mightily. We'll also soon discover that if Ananias and Sapphira are the dynamic duo, then Apollos is the eloquent evangelist, but we'll talk about those three in another sermon. For now, let's just point out that Paul left some good folks behind in Ephesus, and they begin the work there, teaching, we are told, the things concerning Jesus. Eventually, Apollos heads for Corinth, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. We've discussed this scripture in a sermon that was called Signs of the Spirit, but we're going to read through it and pick up a few other thoughts. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about twelve men in all. As we discussed in Signs of the Spirit, this is most likely one of the signs of an apostle that Scripture says mark a true apostle of Jesus Christ. Since all of the apostles of Jesus have long been in glory with Jesus, we don't expect anyone to be able to lay hands on another believer and have them receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues they've never learned and languages they've never learned. We'll get to the signs of a spirit-filled believer we should look for shortly. For our discussion today, let's just note that Paul's effort in Ephesus started with a tiny group of Jewish hermits. (laughs) Not a likely group. (laughs) Not much of a beginning, huh? A dozen kind of weird guys. Sometimes beginnings don't look like much, but this was a sign of more that was to come. Maybe like us. And it shouldn't take too much imagination to see ourselves here. Only more than a dozen of us regularly attend this church, so there's no stopping us now. (laughs) We truly can bring hope to Westport and the South Beach, Grays Harbor, and the whole world. We can. We can do this. But back to the first century. As Paul now returns to the synagogue that had wanted to hear more, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, we've certainly seen our share of stubborn unbelief around here. (laughs) We've had people speak evil about us, this church. Paul had also seen his share of unbelieving resistance, and he's been maligned many times. (laughs) So he knew what to do. Note 
by the way, that only some were a problem. Apparently, most were not. Paul could have had the majority work with him and oust the troublemakers from the synagogue and then use it as the base to reach Ephesus. But he knew God wanted a clean break with the past. He, God, was doing something new and he wanted it to be seen as new. There are some ways in which we must keep ourselves away from those who do not believe, obviously, issues of sin. But there are other faith issues that are important. We need to use wisdom as we work with those who do not believe. And back then, for the first time, the way begins to look like church as we know it. They rented a building to hold church services. Before, it was synagogues and houses. But now, they're renting a building. Don't know if they had announcements, opening music, prayer time, worship music, the sermon, an offering. We don't know. I don't know if they did that. But some of what we understand as standard practice was happening way back then. So, hey, we're doing good. As for the two years, we don't know whether Luke intended to convey that this was all the time Paul spent in Ephesus or just the time that he rented the hall. Most think the latter, that he was in Ephesus for closer to three years. Takes time to change the world, and we're doing fine. We'll get there when God wants us to get there, not to worry. But the important point is that by the end of that period, the entire area of Roman Asia, including the cities of the seven churches to which Jesus sent a note, had heard the word of the Lord. It appears not a single city was without someone who knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And please note Luke's careful explanation that both Jews and Gentiles knew the story now. It may be that part of the reason that they rented a hall was because many Greeks would not go into a synagogue, but they would a hall. And we've had events in the park, for instance, because people won't come into this building. <laughs> uh, whatever. And don't misunderstand, to know the truth is not the same as to believe it. People in every city knew that Jesus rose from the dead, but not all believed in him, not all trusted in him. We'll soon learn that there were both unbelieving Jews and Gentiles who yet knew the truth. There were both unbelieving Jews and Gentiles who yet knew the truth, but right now, let's look at some amazing things God did to advance his church in the, its first generation. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> now, please note, as we did in Signs of the Spirit, that the apostles were given the power to effect miracles. They could just decide and do it. No one today has that sort of power from God. And again, as we said back then, it's not that God cannot do miracles today. He can. Never a good idea to tell God what he can and can't do. <laughs> but there are no apostles walking the earth with us who have the authority to effect miracles like they did. The sign of the Spirit in a person's life now, the Bible says, is a demonstration of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the sign of a person in whom the Holy Spirit lives. Is your life 
ever becoming one in which people see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One who definitely does not have the spirit in the life will practice and display sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Yes, these are the lists that none other than the Apostle Paul gives us in his letter to the Galatians. You see, people might be able to fake miracles today. <laughs> they still do it. But carefully watching someone for a year will let you know their relationship with God. Okay, it usually takes much less than a year. <laughs> when we choose people to work with, especially within the church, we need to examine their lives. It's a scriptural requirement, by the way. It's one of the reasons in our own constitution here, we require that a person be a member for a full year before they can even be considered for a position of leadership within the church. Well, back to the scripture. And now, as an example of faking Christian life, listen to this great and kind of funny story. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> and the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> this is a great story. Whenever I hear someone say something like, we need more miracles in the church today, I always think of this story. You want miracles? Great. You go out and do them. <laughs> I'll let God do his own thing. But these guys, they wanted to pretend that they were tight with God. Well, at least that they were as spiritual as Paul. They wanted to appear spiritual. Not actually be spiritual. Just look good for the show, as it were. But God doesn't tolerate fakes. Truth is, they didn't even understand. They thought it was all about magic incantations. Say just the right words, in just the right order, and poof, you'll get what you want. Abracadabra, right? <laughs> it's not like that. That's why we here make such an emphasis on the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. When a person who thinks they're a Christian, but they're not, truly considers what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, they should question their faith. But people who play Christianity get so used to the hypocrisy, they don't even realize the words have meaning. Relationship with Jesus, for them, simply becomes an incantation. <laughs> it's devoid of any meaning. It's very sad. Point is, the Bible isn't a good luck talisman. You know? <laughs> it's not like those cheesy movies where the guy holds it up so the vampire can't get him. It, no. <laughs> The words of the Bible are not mantras to chant. They have meaning. It is the meaning that is important. Not that the words get spoken, get chanted out. So what do you do when someone doesn't even understand that there is a meaning in the message? What do you do when they claim to be a great Christian? But we've watched 
their life for a while and we see more of the works of the flesh than the fruit of the Spirit? Well, we usually don't have to do anything. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't align ourselves with them. We shouldn't pretend they are Christians when we know they're not. But we don't have to do anything to them. God will take care of them. And sometimes, okay, it's pretty funny. <laughs> These Jews, for instance, were really into looks. They wore the long robes, walked in stately form. And now they're running for their lives down the street, naked and wounded. <laughs> you think anybody noticed? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. It really hit the papers. Front page news. Okay, they didn't have newspapers. But everybody knew. That has got to have been embarrassing. And I'm sorry, maybe I have a weird sense of humor, but I think it's really funny. <laughs> God doesn't just take care of them. He takes care of his word. He takes care of his reputation. And people will praise him. So let's have some fun and be a part of God's plan. I don't suppose we'll see some guys wounded and naked running down the street. But whatever we do, it'll be fun. Perhaps we'll see something even more amazing, like the church in Ephesus did. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. If the silver piece Luke mentions is the drachma, then 137 years of a common man's wages was burned up. Wow! You think these people maybe were serious about their new faith? As they learned the truth, they began to understand that they had to change their lives. Maybe we aren't asking people to be serious enough about their faith. Anyway, Ephesus was a huge city, and we have no idea how large the church was. But even if 500 people gave up those evil books, then they each gave up material worth more than three months of wages. That's if there were 500 of them. Hey, why not sell it all and use the money to advance the church? What, and allow this evil to still be in the world? No, they did right. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, I know the Bible says that, but I can't do that because it would cost me too much money. It's more than a few times I've heard guys who tell me why they can't do their taxes honestly. <laughs> and let's be straight. This is a demonstration of spiritual immaturity. If you're making excuses about money, no. It's time you grew up as a Christian. Now, what happens when the church does live like it should? So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We all want our little church to grow. We want to be part of the word of the Lord increasing and, yes, prevailing mightily in our community. Are we willing to live like the Ephesian church so that we can see this happening? Are you ready to have a fire started in you? Are we willing to live like the Ephesian church so that we can see our church grow? 
Are you sure? Now, after these things, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours might come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowds, he said, Men of Ephesus! Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Are these some great stories or what? <laughs> well, the theater in Ephesus would seat 20,000 people. Archaeologists have found it and uncovered it. You, you can go sit there today. You can sit in those seats. 20,000 screaming, angry people. I'd be a little nervous. <laughs> God comes to the rescue in the form of an unbelieving government official. But people in the church were in real danger of losing their lives. And yeah, it's usually money. <laughs> Did you notice Demetrius talked with his fellow businessmen and the first thing he mentioned was the money, our wealth. <laughs> when he talked with the populace, it was all about the religion. Things get dressed up like that today as well. And they wanted to tear Paul apart, limb from limb, literally. But God used some wise people to keep him away. <laughs> 
Let's listen to the counsel around us when, when we're in difficult situations. But poor Gaius and Aristarchus, can you imagine being drugged by a mob into a vast army of angry people, most of whom don't know what's going on, but figure you're to blame? <laughs> takes a lot to keep going in those circumstances. Are we sure we want to be like the Ephesian church? And Paul, his life was in grave danger. So what's he do? After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Now, Paul had already planned to leave, of course. And most anybody else would have gotten out of Dodge on the first train. <laughs> but not Paul. He stays to encourage everyone else. Now, maybe you can do that already. But I'm going to have to pray <laughs> for that kind of courage. In our own little Ephesus here, we can talk with those who believe, but really don't know exactly what to believe. Well, you can if you get the right training. We just happen to offer that around here. God won't likely give a miraculous sign like he did with those hermits and Paul. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit will begin to grow fruit in their lives and ours. Love, joy, peace. Patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You'll see that grow in their lives and yours. We continue to do the work God has for us even in the face of opposition. We will if we have the Holy Spirit in us. We can be sure that God will take care of the false believers. Let's not worry about them all that much. But let's make sure we are fully committed to doing God's work His way. Even if it costs us more than three months' wages. And then we can be sure that He will protect us. Even in the most dangerous times. And we can be sure that the Word of the Lord will prevail mightily right here in Westport. Let's pray. Father, we want this little church to grow and become vibrant for you and to lead people to change in their lives, change that they desperately need. We need to have them see hope. That they can have a hope that there is something better in this life. But wow, way better on that other shore. <laughs> way better, not even close. Yeah, we want them to have that hope. And that means somebody's got to talk to these people. <laughs> hum, and I guess that somebody is us. Because we're the people you put here. If we're not going to tell them, who is? We are you to them. We get to say your words to them. And yeah, we're going to have to get some courage up. Angry mob. I think I'd rather take an angry mob than some of my relatives. <sighs> but we need to do it. We need to get up the courage. We need to learn enough. We need to read your word ourselves before we tell them they should be reading it. Hey, these are the words of life. Well, what do they say? I don't know. I haven't read it in a while. Well, that doesn't work. <laughs> we got to do our job. we got to do our part. Reading your word. Learning about you. 
We're already gathering together here, so we know you're helping us do well. And we know we can't do it on our own. Paul's courage came from your spirit in him. He himself wrote that he worked in fear and trembling most of the time. But because your spirit was in him, he can do amazing things and have courage even to face a mob of 20,000 angry men. Fortunately, some wise people stopped him from trying because he wasn't really ready for that. But he was ready to encourage. And at least we can encourage each other. Help us to do that and then pray for these people that we've put on the board and others that you bring to our hearts. Help us to pray and pray and pray. The more we talk to you about them, the greater work we'll do in our lives as well as in theirs. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see someone come to you and the light of life will enter them and we'll see it in their lives and the love that they will show, the joy, kindness, the gentleness, all of those things will begin to happen in their life. The self-control, all of it will just flower out It'll be amazing to see. And in the process, maybe we'll also grow further in those areas. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. <laughs>